We reflect today on the third glorious mystery, continuing in our rosary meditation series. The third mystery is the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The place of the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the place where this is traditionally understood, is the place shown on the front of the bulletin this weekend, which also is the same place where it is said that tradition uh, has given to us the Last Supper took place. Uh, so, uh, several weeks back, and we were reflecting upon the institution of the Eucharist, uh, and I told you that our group got ahead of, uh, or the three priests were kind of rebellious sheep and wandered off by ourselves, and our group went off one way and we went off another one. Um, the, the picture shows that there's not a single soul in our group, it's just a bunch of random people in the image there, uh, because we had gone off ahead, and then, as you may recall, the my exhortation to be like the cat that curled up in the folds of my cassock to find rest, encouraging us to, to fold up next to our blessed Lord in the Eucharist and there to, to find consolation and peace. And so it's that, that same place that holds both of these mysteries, and, and strikingly so for us, reflecting that the institution of the Eucharist, the fruit of the mystery for that one is a love of the Eucharist, and for the fruit of the mystery for Pentecost is a love of God. These things are not exclusive of one another. In fact, they anticipate one another. To love God is to love the Eucharist, and to love the Eucharist is to love God. They are the same. This is why whenever we come and we, and we genuflect before we enter into our pews, where we bow down and worship before the, Lord, before the Lord Jesus in the Eucharist, we're not idolaters. We're worshiping the one true God. If it were bread, if it were a sign or a symbol, we would be idolaters. We'd be heretics worshiping bread, but we are not. We come to worship the one true God. It's the acknowledgement that, that Christ is present in the Eucharist, an important piece for us. I love the story of, of those individuals, uh, stories of, of saintly priests who, seeing an individual having received Holy Communion and immediately walking out the back door of the church, stopped distributing, pointed to the two servers, and then told them to go follow the individual with lighted candles. And the person, realizing that these two kids were following him with the candles, turned around and he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, Christ is still present in you in the Eucharist, so we're just forming a Eucharistic procession. They were not amused by the reality. But it's a truth of things, that when we receive Christ, we receive Christ, and he remains in us. We become living tabernacles for a moment, imaging our Blessed Mother, who for nine months bore Christ in her womb, we get to bear him in our stomachs for, science would tell us, for uh, I think 10 to 15 minutes or so before digestion consumes everything that is present there, and our Lord in his, in his Eucharistic presence is gone from us. It's this gift of the Eucharist that we start with today, because the Eucharist is indeed in so many ways where the apostles started. They started in that room receiving Christ in the flesh eating of his body and of his blood. They received that great gift, and they received him. But every time we receive him in the same manner, in the form of Holy Communion, he abides with us. Like I said, only for 10 or 15 minutes or so. The church has always taught that whenever the Eucharistic accidents of the bread or wine cease to exist, the Eucharist is no longer present. The Christ is not truly present in that place anymore. And so, whenever the elements in our stomach have been consumed by our bodies, the Christ is gone. The grace is given to our soul. Nourishment for our soul is certainly given to us. 
But he is not with us in the same manner as he had been just a few moments before. And lest we think that we are then on our own, that the Lord has said, I will be with you for 10 or 15 minutes, and then, well, good luck, right? We know that this is certainly not the case, that the Lord is with us always. He tells us this before he ascended into the heavens. He said, I will send you another advocate. always love that, another advocate, because he is the one who is first for us, the great high priest taken on our flesh and interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. He is always our advocate before the Father, pleading for mercy to be upon us. He sends us another advocate, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is received in holy baptism. The Spirit comes and makes His dwelling in our heart, the soul's most welcome guest, as the Pentecost sequence reminds us. The one who comes to remain in us, to stay in us, to enliven our souls, to give us eternal life. And He remains with us at every single moment of the day when we remain in the state of grace. To the extent that we remain in Him, He always assures us that He will remain in us. It is a constant call to love God, to allow the love of God to increase within us and to remain within us. As we might be tempted to think with the Eucharist that Christ has come and Christ has gone, we can never think such with the Spirit as we remain in His grace. He comes to stay with us, and at every single moment of the day, He is present. He is dwelling in our soul in a most mysterious manner that we cannot understand in this earthly life. We can certainly make arguments and, and, and you know, try to understand the reality of it, but always it is a mystery of how it is that the infinite God comes and makes His dwelling in our invisible soul. Mysterious and yet true. And the Spirit does not come alone. We know always that where the Spirit is, the Father and the Son are there too, because the Trinity cannot be divided in Himself. You never get one without the other two. And so, the Spirit comes to dwell with us and comes together with the Father and the Son in a mysterious way to dwell in our souls. This is the great gift of how the love of God is poured out to us, because this is how we can love God. We love God because God first has loved us. It's a simple fact that it's an axiom of the church. We cannot give what we do not have. It's an axiom that every seminarian has to learn as soon as he starts wearing his clerical gear. Whenever he has a collar on or he's wearing a cassock, people will inevitably, even if he is young and shining and radiant, you know, uh, even if he looks like he shouldn't be old enough to be a priest, if he's wearing a collar, very likely people will walk up and periodically ask him for a confession or ask him for a blessing of something. And a seminarian must always remember, I cannot give what I do not have. I have a collar on, but I don't have holy orders. And to be able to say, I'm sorry, I can't bless your stuff, I can't hear your confession, but I can help you try to find a priest, right? It's usually the, the task of a seminarian. We cannot give what we do not have. And we cannot give love to God if we have not first received love from Him. This happens first and foremost in our holy baptism, by which God pours Himself, love, God, into our souls. He pours Himself, He pours His love, He pours His life, and He pours His grace into us. He enlivens our soul. We come together to have not just a natural life, an earthly life, but to have supernatural life planted in us. Then, and only then, are we able 
to, to truly love God in fullness because we have received of his love in its fullness. This is one of the great mysteries of, of the life of prayer, in fact, that prayer is, is not something that we do necessarily, but it's something within which we are brought. We're brought into the relationship in a mysterious way in prayer. Because the fact is, as Father Eugene Boylan often points out in his book, This Tremendous Lover, speaking of how God dwells in us, it's the fact that when we go to pray, it's God in us drawing himself back to himself in heaven. It's God loving himself in me. This is what God is. God is love, loving love. It's, it's the, a, an eternal pouring out of love between the Father and the Son and the person of the Holy Spirit. And love is not something that I do. It's something that happens in and through me by God's grace. Because he dwells in me, because he is in me, this pours out. And the more one is receiving love of God, the more one can then love God. So this is the importance for us of the sacraments. It's the importance for us to frequently, to come to our blessed Lord, to receive of his love, especially in the Holy Eucharist especially in the sacrament of confession, to allow his grace to continue to increase within our soul that, 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 that water that springs up to eternal life, the living water spoken of by our Lord in St. John's gospel, that it might continue to well up within us to eternal life. That we might be able to love God more and more and more. And the concrete way that we do this is by praying. Prayer is an absolutely necessary thing for us. But it is very easy for us to be tempted to set it aside for a time. There will never be a day where we do not need to pray, where we're good enough that day. It would be like saying, I breathed enough yesterday, I don't need to breathe today. It's absurd. And yet sometimes we think we can do this with our souls. In the manner that we go without air, we will soon die. If I were to cease breathing today, you would, in short manner, have a new pastor. And if you were to quit praying today, you would, in short, have a new good shepherd. And it would not be the good shepherd of Jesus. The new shepherd that you would have for yourself would be your sins, would be the evil one who would lead you away. Without prayer, the love of God fades from us. In the same manner that Jesus tells us in St. John's Gospel that the vine, the, the vine is, the, is necessary for the branches. We don't see branches that get cut off the vine, go for a walk around the campus a little bit, and then come show back up whenever they're ready to, to drink more of the sap. They remain in the vine. In the same manner, we must remain in Him. His life must remain in us. In other words, we must pray because the love of God is the most necessary and important thing that any of us can do. Unless you think that seems a bit of an exaggeration, we have only to remember the words our blessed Lord spoke whenever the individual came to him, putting him to the test, as often was the case with the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And he asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? A great debate in those times. What is the greatest commandment in the law? There are, I think, 536 commandments in the law. Which of them is the greatest? And the Lord responded simply and without hesitation. The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. 
This is the greatest commandment. It's the summary of the entirety of the Old Testament. It's the summary of the entirety of the old law. It's the entirety of the new law and the, and the new catechism of the church. All of these things, every law of the church, the canon law, all of these things that are given to us, everything that has ever been said can be summed up in the simple injunction for us to love God first and foremost. This is why St. Augustine was able to say, love and then do whatever you wish. Because if we love properly, if we truly love in the same manner that God loves us, we cannot sin. It will not be possible for us. Because love commands and, and is contrary to sin. Sin is contrary to love. Now, we in our, our human frailty can't do such, so thus we need laws, we need commandments in these things to kind of help us to, to keep in line, so to speak. But it's the fact that love is the most necessary thing for us. And so prayer is the most necessary thing for us. And it's to ensure that we do spend time in prayer. Again, we can be tempted to try to set it aside, to say, well, I'm, I'm really busy today, or the kids have activities, or we've got this thing at work, or you know, any number of things that can kind of push prayer out of the way. But this will be a most grievous thing to allow prayer to fall away to allow prayer, the union of the one true God, the loving God himself, which is the highest good that we can ever attain in this life, to set that aside would be the greatest of sorrows. And so it's this we pray that the Lord would give to us, the grace to love him always, to be mindful that the Holy Spirit, by virtue of Pentecost, by virtue of him being poured out upon the church and into our souls at holy baptism, that God is with us at every single moment, and we can choose to love him at any moment we might. It is simply to turn our minds to him, wherever we may be, and to love him, to honor him, to praise him, to adore him, to do so frequently and with fervor in our hearts, to kindle, to, to kindle within us everything that we can, to be able to give ourselves to him. And in doing so, he will simply continue to pour himself out to us, Love is never outdone. He will never be outdone. The more we love him, the more his love will increase in us. And so as we offer this holy mass and rejoice to celebrate the gift of the sacraments in an abundant manner today, we pray that each of us will be mindful of the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell with us, that he is our welcome guest here and now. He comes to increase his love within us and pray that our love for him might increase as well so that we, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, may continually have hearts burning for love of him and to rejoice one day to behold his face.